Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. My name is Michael Bernstein, and I'm the rabbi of Congregation Gesher Torah in Alpharetta, Georgia. Today we are doing Psachim Pechet, the 88th page. We're continuing a conversation of a Mishnah that deals with certain individuals who do not have full ownership of their own ability for consent. We talked about the woman who is married, a child whose decisions are made by an apotropos, a guardian, and now we're focusing on an eved, a slave. We have to take a moment. A slave on Pesach. It just seems a little strange to talk about a slave having to do certain things or not do certain things to take part in the Paschal offering, which of course commemorates the moment that the Israelites went out as from Egypt as free people and no longer slaves. The reason this would happen is that a slave, a Canaanite slave who could be owned by an Israelite, once brought in as a possession and undergoing circumcision, would also have certain mitzvot that he would be obligated to. And like the traditional understanding of women and other individuals who do not have full obligations, uh, he would have a, a, a shorter list, but on that list would be the commandment of taking part in the Paschal sacrifice. So as strange as it is, it is the way the obligation would play out. And I think that the, the tension and the strangeness plays out here as well. This particular slave, according to the Mishnah, is owned not by one master, but by two. And so it's as if one master owns half of him, and another owns the other half. And the Mishnah simply states he cannot partake in either offering, because neither master has the authority to register him fully for the Paschal sacrifice. But there is a Baraita, we're about to learn, on the uh, on Pechet Amud Bet, that uh, a Baraita says that, in fact, he can, or that a Canaanite slave, that is Eved Shel Shnei Shutafim, that um, a slave who has two owners, may, in fact, eat of either owner that he wants. Ratza mize ochel, ratza mize ochel. In that case, the Brighto would seem to contradict the Mishnah. There's also the small situation that we dealt with uh, in yesterday's daf, worth taking care of quickly. It would also seem to imply Brera. In other words, imply the fact that this slave's decision after the fact of which master he wants to eat would retroactively go back and affect the time that he was registered for the Paschal Offering. And again, you need to be registered for the Paschal Offering with a particular Chavura, particular group that's eating, so that when the offering is slaughtered and ritually dealt with, it can be done with full intention, and you are part of it. That can be alleviated 
because the slave himself does not need to give consent, unlike some of the other individuals um, who, even though they don't completely own their own consent, that consent is still needed. So in this case, there would be no brera. Back, though, to the bigger contradiction. This uh, Braita, which was raised, Ramile, Rav, Ena, Sava, that Rav Ena, the elder, raised, Rav Nachman, teaches, in fact, that there is a contradiction to our Mishnah. So, Tanan, Evet, Shel Shnei Shutafim, Lo, Yochal, Mishel, Shneihem. Our Mishnah teaches he can't eat from either of them. And as we just said, Vahatanya, it's been taught in a Braita, he can eat from either one he wants. What I find interesting is how Rav Nachman responds to Ena Saba. Either he says, Ena Saba, Ena the Elder, or, Va'amrele, some say that he says, Patia Uchama, Black Vessel, Black Pot. This may not sound like a term of endearment, but most of the commentary, in fact, say that calling this uh, Ena the Elder a black pot is one way or another some kind of compliment. Either that he is being complimented because of his great Torah study, perhaps, according to one opinion, his Torah study has caused him to neglect other outward signs of his uh, dignity, so that his uh, clothes have become somewhat uh, less than perfectly clean, but it's because of his immersion in Torah study. Or possibly being called a black pot is similar to Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah, who was uh, known as the one who carried great Torah and wisdom in an ugly vessel. And there the understanding is, is that an uglier exterior uh, teaches you humility. And humility is a, is a great boon in studying Torah. So, while there are other ways to understand it, calling him a black pot seems to be positive. In a moment, we'll get to what uh, Rav Nachman's solution is, but he's not done with the, the fineries here of his approach. He says, Mini uminech tistayem shmatata. Between me and between you, we'll finish this sugya, we'll finish this learning, we'll finish this piece of, of, of teaching. And he's and again, is about to go on to say it, but what's fascinating here is that he's modeling, in a way, two masters. He's saying, I'm not going to master this sugya and show you why you're wrong, and you're not going to master this sugya and show me why potentially someone else is wrong in, uh, in thinking that the Mishnah is right or the Bright is right or that they do go together and you say that they don't go together. Rather, from you and from me together, we will conclude it which is also wishful thinking, because as we know in the Gemara, it's never really over. But that's the language that's used. So it, first let's look at what he says, and then come back again to, uh, to the form of it, and why I think it is such an interesting play on the concept of mastery and uh, servitude and what it means to be owned or to own. His answer is, Matnitin Bittakafte, the, the Mishnah is dealing with the case of kafte, people who are makpidim against each other, every time there's a, there's a discussion, we just assume that these two masters argue over the use of their uh, jointly owned slave. So, in a situation where they both register him, neither would be thought to uh, ever give up their, their half. And in fact, they wouldn't even want to have the benefit 
um, that uh, would get that they would get from the other of not having to feed him the slave out of his part. The whole thing just becomes uh, pasnish. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. They don't. They just don't work together. So if you're in the unfortunate situation of being owned by these two masters, then you'll never officially be able to be registered for the Paschal Lamb. Whereas the Brita, the Lokafti Ahadadei, it's where they're not Makbidim. Doesn't necessarily mean they love each other, but there's at least no assumption that they're trying to spite each other. And whatever will work, we'll happily let uh, wherever the, the slave decides to go to, to eat, the other one will happily uh, let him go. Because, again, he doesn't mind taking the benefit from his partner. Again, it's not even a question of, of benefiting his partner. The, in this case, the, the ones who are angry at each other, that are makbidim, don't even want a benefit. I won't even take anything from the other guy. So in this case, they will. And so it's a benefit. I don't have to feed one more mouth. Go ahead, go enjoy yourself, and so on. So that's the answer. Not so earth-shattering a way of, uh, of explaining this change. What's so interesting is, is having Rav Nachman first, how does he address him? Is he simply addresses Aina the Elder, which is quite respectful, or by black pot, which may ultimately also be a form of respect, but it also has, uh, you know, this edge to it of recognizing who he is. It humanizes this moment, um, is one way of looking at it. And then it really emphasizes how they own jointly this moment, as if they're owning jointly uh, something that they could master. And what's interesting is that we know that's not how teachings work. And as I said before, he uses the way of, of, of phrase to say, we will conclude the matter. And it's not going to be concluded. We're talking about it right now. We're arguing it, and it's been argued through generations. And yet Rav Nachman implies that he's almost imagining as if they owned the rights to this teaching together. To me, that sheds light on the fact that no slave is owned. If words can't be owned, kol v'chomer, how much more so a person can't be owned. It's somewhat of a fanciful reading, I understand, but since these words aren't fully owned, I'm going to take my share in them as well that at this very moment we're discussing eating from the very sacrifice that teaches ultimate freedom, not only of the Israelite people, but by extension, a gift that is shown to the world, the exodus of, from, from Egypt, that no person can be a slave. Remember, you were once a slave in Egypt, and therefore treat all strangers uh, with, uh, with kindness. At that moment, we have this kind of false claim of ultimate mastery to show us that, in fact, just as Rav Nachman's statement falls, that he and Eina Sava can't own this uh, teaching together, then ultimately, despite the halachic realities that we're learning, a person can't be fully owned either. It's one more push away from this concept of slavery, which is allowed through the through the Torah, but um, throughout Jewish history is pushed away and pushed away until the message truly is one of ultimate freedom, not only for the technical slaves, but for every person who finds themselves under another person's ownership to any extent. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros, from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.